So imagine with me a life without some of the things that you probably have uh, taken for granted over the last, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years. Imagine with me a life uh, without email. How many of you actually use email or check your email at least twice a day? At least twice a day. How many more than twice a day? Man, how many more than three times a day? <laughs> we got to live off that, right? Well, imagine life without Facebook. What would that look like, right? For some of you, you wouldn't be able to survive. You'd, you'd die, right? <laughs> and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's Facebook? What's Twitter? I don't know. That's all right. You know, you'll get there, I think, eventually, maybe. Uh, imagine, imagine life without the drive through window. Wow. What would that be like, huh? No burgers, no fries, no, no Starbucks drive through no... Banking, drive through that's incredible. Life would be very different. What about life without a microwave? Whoa, whoa, that'd be nuts, wouldn't it? We've come to, we've, you know, we've become accustomed to these different inventions and creations like they've always been, they've changed the way we live. But what would life be like without them? What about indoor plumbing? Wow, what would life be like if we had to use an outhouse? It'd be nasty, it'd be awful, it'd be terrible. What about, what about a water heater? Oh boy. I mentioned last week that uh, our, the pilot light went out in our water heater at home, and my wife was uh, in the shower when it happened. So I forgot to mention that part last week. She was in the shower. She got out of the shower. She was so cold. <laughs> she, she's like, what's going on? I said, oh, I, I'll check it, you know, and I got my, my tool belt on. <laughs> no, no, I didn't because I don't have one. I don't have a tool belt. But I did go out there to check on the water, the pilot light, and I thought, man, I, I got to fix this because mama can't be having cold showers because when mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy in the house, right? <laughs> it's not quite like that, but my wife is a sweet, sweet lady. But I did have to fix the, the, I did have to fix the problem. I was tempted to call somebody, and, but I went down there, and like I said last week, I, I figured I read the instructions even though I was terrified because the pictures on there make it look like you're going to burn your house down and your face right off. Whoa, there you go. I mean, it just flames, right? And so, but I managed to fix it. And, and uh, so, yeah, well, what would life be like if you had to take cold showers all the time? It would be terrible. A lot of these inventions, these creations, we, we take them for granted. At one time, they did not exist. It's incredible. We're, we're, we're in a room right now where there's a lot of lights. But if there, if there wasn't this thing called the light bulb, we'd, we'd be in the dark right now. We wouldn't be able to meet in here. Or we'd have to have windows and skylights or something like that. A guy named Thomas Edison back in 1879 took a bunch of stuff that was going on. A lot of people trying to invent a, the light bulb. They couldn't quite figure it out. There's about 20 different people working on it. And uh, they basically, they were coming up with these light bulbs that would last for a few minutes. Well, Thomas Edison comes on the scene and he kind of puts these different things together. And this is actually an Edison light bulb. I'm trying to be real gentle with it. And he, he puts it all together and figures out how to make it last for a couple of hours. And then that led to even the longer life for a light bulb. And it's just incredible. This light bulb changed the way Americans live their lives. It was incredibly useful. Americans started to work later into the day, which made them more productive, which made them more what? Money? Tired. Somebody said tired. <laughs> yeah, yes, that too. But when they had more money, they were able to, do, you know, change, it changed the quality of their life. They were started eating dinner later into the evening. They, they didn't have to eat by candlelight, right? They, they did chores in the house. Like, it, it literally changed how people live their lives, not just in America, but across, across the world. And it's just absolutely fascinating that that one invention has, was so incredibly useful. You know, we're in a series right now called The Swiss Army Life. We're kind of using the metaphor of the Swiss Army Knife. I'll be real careful with this. A lot of sharp edges here. But... Um, 
yeah, what an incredibly useful tool, right? That we, we said that, that, that God wants us to live a Swiss Army life, meaning this, that God wants you to live a useful life. Like you're not just here to suck air and take up space and then die. Aren't you glad? Like that's not, there's, there's so much more to life than that. Than do you just kind of existing and making some money and, you know, uh, spending some time here and then, you, and then you go off, you die somewhere and it's all over. No. God actually has a purpose and a reason for your life. He wants you to, he wants you to bring value to this life. You know, this tool is so useful. True story, back in 1999, a gentleman went out fishing uh, in, in Galveston. And he, uh, he took his fishing nets he, and he threw his fishing nets overboard. It's about almost 500 pounds worth of fishing nets. For some reason, he was by himself, not, not very smart. But he, w- he threw his nets overboard to catch. I think he was fishing for shrimp or something like that. I'm not sure. And, and, and the rope caught his, uh, his foot. So it, it, it began to take him overboard. It was dragging him into the water. And he knew if I go into the water with these nets, I'm dry, it's, I'm, it's done. And so he reached into his pocket and pulled out his trusty little Swiss Army knife and he cut the rope. And that day he said, I went, I went home without a catch, but I went home very thankful for my little trusty red pocket knife. Wow, true story. You know, this, this tool is incredibly useful, and God wants you to live a useful life. I love what Albert Einstein said. I, I showed you this last week, but he said, try not to become a man of success. We focus on that so much in this country. All we want to be successful, but rather try to be a person or become a person that adds value. Benjamin Franklin said it this way. He said, I would rather have it said that he died or he lived usefully rather than die, than he died wealthy. And I don't know if you saw the Benjamin Franklin uh, uh, documentary last night. I, can't, I think it was on the History Channel. Uh, I watched most of it last night. And it was so incredible just to, to learn about his life and all the wonderful things that he did and all the inventions that he, that he, that he created. Uh, the Franklin stove, you know, was, was something that, that heated people's homes. And, and, of course, he created the bifocals where, you know, different, you know, the, the, the lenses that kind of split down the middle so you could read with them and both see with them. And he just had this, this mind that would just kind of go and go and go, and he would create these different things. And of course, he created the lightning rod. You know, he, he did that experiment with his son with the key and the kite and all that stuff. You learned about that in school, remember? And, uh, and uh, you know, lo and behold, he invents the, the lightning rod, which basically everybody started to put it on top of their house, and the lightning would hit their house and send the, send the electricity into the ground. Before that, uh, a lightning would hit a house, it would burn up the house, and sometimes it would burn up the whole town. Because the fire would just catch on. And so Franklin's invention was absolutely, it was life-changing. It was so incredibly useful. It caught on to other countries. And I didn't know this part, but last night I was listening to this documentary. And basically, Franklin's fame spread all the way to France. And during the revol- re- when the Revolutionary War was taking place, obviously the Americans had to get the, the, the support of the French to come, to come over and help militarily with, with uh, gunpowder and guns and actual troops. Well, it was f- part of the reason why Franklin was successful was because when he got to France, he was a celebrity. He was the guy that invent- or invented the lightning rod that, that, could, that somehow controlled lightning. And so his influence because of his invention, he got this, he got this, uh, basically this, this tight relationship with King Louis, and over a year's time was able to convince him, you need to send troops over to America to help us win that war. And so that led to us defeating the British and, and becoming a country. Is that not crazy to you? That's absolutely fascinating to me. I don't know why that is, but what a useful life he lived. He wasn't a very good dad 
or husband, but, you know, you know, but that's, that's a negative part of the story. We won't bring that up. <laughs> but he was useful to us, right? And so, and so what, we, what we're saying in this series, man, man let's, let's live a useful life. We were created here to be useful. And I believe with all my heart that you were created to create. Watch this short video. Has anyone ever told you that you were created to create? I remember the first time somebody told me, you were created to create. I was 19 years old, and it got me in such a state because I feared it might be too late for me to create. You see, even from the earliest date in a garden, in a world free from hate, before Adam was lucky enough to find his mate, before Eve took and before Eve ate, sealing the world to a dismal fate, before it all went down, the first verb found in scripture is that of create. You were created to create. It all happened at such an alarming rate, and the Creator used every tool in his crate, heaven and earth from a chaotic, empty slate. And yes, maybe God has a lot on his plate, but if he can do all this in less days than eight, imagine what he can do through a lifetime with you when we trust in him and the paths are made straight. You were created to create. In him, we bear every image and every trait, and that includes, of course, this call to create. No matter who you are or what you do, the calling is innate, not just to make art. No, it's so much more. God wants to use you to do something new, something great. You were created to create. Like what was more creative than when Christ wiped the slate and made a way for us to enter the gate? What was Christ sent for if not to create, to create a way so that we could finally relate to the Father that loves us even in our sinful state and to hear his call to us, his call to create. You were created to create. Whether your creation be simple or simply ornate, it's certain to spark some colorful debate, but take hope in the call from the one who is great and whatever you do, do not wait because you were created, created to create. I believe with all my heart, if you're taking notes today, that the Swiss Army life is a creative life. That God wants you to be useful. And one of the ways that he wants you to be useful is to create things. See, we were made in his image, as was mentioned in the video. In Genesis chapter 1, we read these incredible words from, the, from, I believe, Moses who wrote this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times we hear this word, God is the creator. And then in the very next verse, listen to what God says. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The first command that he gives us is to go out and create. You were created to create. That's absolutely true about you. And it's in those things that we create that we, that we become useful, that we begin to make a difference in people's 
lives. You were created to create. Now, I know when I say that, people push back and say, wait a second, I'm not an artist. Come on, I've never, I'm not going to create something like, you know, a light bulb or, or a Swiss army knife. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not like that. I'm never going to create something that, that ends up on, on the Shark Tank. You ever watch the Shark Tank? What a good show. I was watching it last week, and this dude created a water bottle that had a screw-on bottom. Now, some of you who are runners and cyclists, you know that that's so awesome because uh, without the bottom screwing off, you can't get your hand in there to wash the nastiness out of the bottom when you don't put it in the dishwasher right away. Anybody? Anybody? The black stuff that grows down there, we don't really know what it is. probably fungus. Well, this dude just realized that's a problem. You can't get your hand in there to scrub it out. And so what if you just, what if you just had a screw-on bottom and you'd be able to wash the bottom out and you're good to go and no fungus? You know, you ha- did you see that one where the sharks, the sharks are like, oh, that's good. And I'm sitting there at home going, I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I invent that? <laughs> you ever have that happen? You know, some of you actually did invent it, but somebody invented it before you, right? Oh, that's even worse, but... This guy's going to be a millionaire because of a screw-on bottom to a water bottle. Are you serious? You know, it's crazy. Some of you are like, well, I'm never going to end up on Shark Tanks. So I'm, not a, I'm not an artist. I'm not, a, I'm not a creator. I'm not an inventor. Well, okay, neither am I. But that's not, uh, that's not what I mean by create. Well, it is what I mean by create, but it's not limited to that. See, creating or being an artist goes, goes beyond creating a product or, or a light bulb or, or a painting or a sculpture. It goes way past that. There's other things that you and I create all the time. I'll give you an example. The culture in your home. That's created. Moms, dads, that's created by you. What type of culture is, is your home? Is it an argumentative culture? Is it a loud culture? Is it a disrespectful culture? That's created by you. I'll give you another example. There's a culture at work. Those of you who work in an office or you work with different people, there's a culture at work. It could be a support, supportive culture, a fun culture, uh, an encouraging culture, or it could be a greedy culture, uh, a, a gossipy culture, uh, a, 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 you know, an angry culture. This just depends what, what type of culture the boss and the employees decide that they want to create at work. See, I bet you never thought about it that way. But in that sense, you are an artist. In that sense, you can create. Do you know that the relationship between a husband and wife is created? Yes, it is. It takes effort and it takes work to create a very healthy relationship between a husband and a wife. Or how about between a father and a son, or a father and a daughter, or a mother and a son, or a mother and a daughter? That relationship, if it's going to be healthy, must be created. Interesting isn't it? See, when I say artist, or when I say you were created to create, I don't simply mean products. I don't simply mean a painting, or a song, or a poem, or something like that. We are constantly creating. I love what Mother Teresa said. Listen to these words. We shall never know all the good that a simple smile can do. I love that quote. You want to know why? Because I was born smiling, I think. I like to smile. I've always smiled. I smiled when I was a little kid. I, I don't know. Maybe I was just happy. And my, but my mom would say, oh, you're always smiling. i say, yeah, and I don't know. It's just happy. So I, I still do it today. Like when I'm in a grocery store sometimes, I'll just smile. Just, I can't, like, well, people walk by, I'll smile at them. One time a lady said, why are you so happy? It's a total stranger. It's like, I don't know, just having a good day. Said, well, you just brighten my day. Here, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on when you smile at people. It's fascinating. 
And Mother Teresa didn't know the science on this, okay? This is like before. She, she, right, but right now, all these scientists have done the studies and what happens when someone smiles at you. There's a reaction in the brain. I'm not sure which part of the brain. But something happens where you smile back. Isn't that fascinating? See, some of you right now are smiling. See, it caught you. You can't help it because I'm smiling at you. See, there's something that goes on in the brain that makes you respond with a smile back. You know what that is? That, in my opinion, that's me being an artist. That's me being a creator. I'm creating a moment with somebody when, when, when I smile at them. You, you might say, well, that's not art. I, I beg to differ. I believe it is art. I believe it's creating an atmosphere. I believe it's creating a connection between me and that other person. I love what Og Magneto said about the smile. Listen to this. A smile remains the most inexpensive gift I can bestow on anyone, and yet its powers can vanquish kingdoms. Oh, my gosh. So here's what I've been doing recently with my kids. Like when they wake up uh, in the morning, they're not exactly happy. Anybody else raising kids? Mm-mm-mm. I could tell you a few stories right now, but I won't. I want to respect my children. But they don't wake up happy. They just don't. So I, so I started showing them uh, videos of kid president just to make them just, you know, remember we showed you one here at church. No kid president, right? I just, and it's unbelievable what happens. Just, I just said, like, there's the Cheerios right there, Cheerios and milk. And then, there's, and then there's a little video screen with kid president. I hit play and, and all of a sudden they just start laughing. It's like, all right, now. Empty the dishwasher right now. Go. Let's go. Let's go, right? See? There's just, there's just something about a smile. There's something about humor. It just, it, I'm creating. They don't know I'm doing it. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't do that to me. Come on. They don't know that what I'm doing is I'm creating this positive. I'm, I'm, I'm energizing the atmosphere with a, with a smile and with some laughter. I am an artist. See that? you got to think beyond products or, or, or paintings or sculptures or whatever. So you and I are designed to create certain things that are actually useful to other people. So how do we do that? How do we create something that is useful, that makes a difference in other people's lives? I'll give you three quick things. Number one, you want to be useful. You want to create something useful. You have to discover your skill. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have a skill. And you probably have more than one. I would even argue you have more than two. You have a skill. God has created you, as I mentioned earlier, not just to you know, take up space in this earth, suck up some wind and die, okay? There's a grander purpose to your life. You have skill so that you can make a difference. I don't know what that skill is. You could have the skills of organization, administration. You could have the skills of decorating things. You could have the skills and talent of working with numbers and math and different things. I don't have that, <laughs> okay? You can have the skills of singing or dancing. I certainly don't have that either. In fact, I have very little skill few few skills but but you might have that right you i don't know what skill you might have the skill of selling something or you but you have to discover what that skill is and then once you discover what that skill is you have to begin to leverage that to create something that is useful for other people in fact that's the reason why god gave you that skill i love the story in exodus where god told moses to build the sanctuary not the, not the uh, permanent sanctuary, that, that was built by a guy named Solomon later on. But God wanted to build a temporary sanctuary. And so God said, hey, I'm going to give you a few guys who I have gifted with the talents and ability to build things. Watch this, Exodus chapter 36. The Lord has, say it with me, he has what? 
He's gifted, and I'm not even going to say their names because I don't know how to say their names, but these two dudes right here, okay, he's gifted these two guys, and he's gifted some other guys, probably Jim and John. Wouldn't that be awesome if they left their names out, right? So he's gifted some of these guys, uh, and he's, he's made them skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform tasks involved in building the sanctuary. Watch the next verse. Let them... Not some other Joe Schmo that doesn't know how to swing a hammer, <laughs> okay? Not some other guy that doesn't have a clue how to, how to make a, you know, a right angle out of something, right? No, let the skilled workers build or construct and furnish the tabernacle, tabernacle just as the Lord commanded. You see, what, you see what's going on here? God has gifted you in a certain way so that you could use those skills to do something or build something or create something that is incredibly useful for other people. It's your job to discover what that is. Uh, about six months ago or so, or probably less than that, three months, I lose track of time sometimes, uh, there, there's a, we, we've been in our current house for about five and a half years or six years and uh, there's a light post out front, and most of the time that we've been in our house, that light post has just not worked, okay? So we don't have much light in the front of our house, so when the sun goes down, we're the dark house on the block. We're supposed to be the light of the world, right? No, not the Andersons. We're the dark house on the block, okay? <laughs> like, no Christmas lights during Christmas time. It's just that way, and so finally, after five and a half years, my wife is like, no, she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. She, she doesn't say things like that. But she's just like, honey, I really want to have some light out in front of the house. So I'm like, well, I don't know. I've looked at this thing. It's busted. It's been busted for five and a half years. I called my father-in-law. He didn't really know how to fix it either. And he's pretty handy. And so, you know, just didn't know how to fix it. It's one of those things that have a sensor, you know, where the sun goes down and the sensor senses. There's no light and it comes on. We've just never had any light. So I'm like, man, I, I got to call somebody. So all of a sudden, this dude popped into my head. His name is Wayne Marsh. He's like a magician when it comes to electricity and light bulbs and stuff. And, and so I called up Wayne, and he came over to the house. I'm not, I'm not kidding. 30 minutes later, that thing was working. Sun went down. Light came on. And my wife is happy. and I was happy. <laughs> See, when you have a skill, by the way, if you need some electrical work done, Wayne Marsh. Phenomenal guy. Wayne, if you're here, wave your hand or something. something. You're, you, one time I caught Wayne b backstage. He was in the ceiling. Literally in the ceiling. I said, Wayne, you, where are you at? Oh, I'm up here. Just working with wires. Anyway, great guy. Incredibly useful. And so I called him. See, if you, if you want to be useful, you have to know your skill and discover your skill. And then you can create something that is useful. Number two, you got to discover your passion. Oh, come on. This is so important. You have a passion. God has created you in a way to, to get energized about something, to get excited about something. Let me ask you a few questions. What makes your blood flow? What makes your heart beat fast? What can you get so involved in that you kind of get lost in? You forget what time it is, and you maybe even forget what day it is because you're so engaged. Like, what is, what is the passion of your life? That's probably the area that God wants to use you to create something to make a difference in this world world. You have to discover what your passion is. I remember years ago when I was a student at Liberty University and I quit playing basketball, um, I, I, I was kind of just looking for something to do, just, you know, uh, not just be a student. And I had a few of my friends that would take these weekend trips 
to different youth groups uh, across the country and, and uh, or the Midwest area there and, and, and South. And so they, they said, hey, why don't you come with us on one of these trips? What we do is we t- kind of take over the youth group for a while and, and it's from Friday and Saturday and then Sunday morning and then we come back and we come back to school and we go back to class. So I was like, okay, that's great. So I joined this ministry team and lo and behold, I got to speak to students on a regular basis, like high school students about my testimony. And at that time I had just become a Christ follower. Maybe I was two or three years into my walk with Christ. And I was able to talk to these students. I really only knew a couple of Bible verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, was one of them, which said, basically said, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I would just talk about that Bible verse and talk about how my life had changed. And I, I noticed something. I noticed that I was, as I was speaking to these students, they were paying attention. And then I noticed that at the end, when I would share the gospel, some of the students would actually put their faith in Christ and they were getting saved. And then I also noticed that I was having an absolute blast doing it, like I am right now. (laughs) And I would go back to school and I'd think, oh my gosh, I think that that's something that I could do. I think I could speak. I love it. I, I, I have a skill in it. I'm passionate about it. And it's being effective. Lo and behold, two years later, I got a call from this church. Hey, you want to be our high school pastor? (laughs) I thought, well, I love it, I'm passionate about it, pretty effective at it. I think we'll give it a shot. See, you have to discover what your passion is. I, I want to share one more quick story uh, about this from, from a book called Onward by Howard Schultz. He's the CEO of Starbucks. And back in 2008, Starbucks had to go, th- I know, I know, I tell a lot of Starbucks stories, but <laughs> sorry. It's just, just, it's a passion of mine, right? So you got to discover your passion, see? And, and, uh, and I just want to share this story real quick because the two, Starbucks was going through a really tough time. I think everybody was going through a tough time in 2008. But the, ch- the title of chapter 2 is A Love Story. Listen, listen to that. I want to read this to you because I couldn't say it better than him. He says, My love of coffee developed when I first went to work as head of marketing for the four stores of a small coffee company named Starbucks. That was 1982. I didn't discover coffee's magic, however, until one year later on a business trip to Italy. That visit was the seed of what blossomed into today's Starbucks coffee company. Early one day in Milan, I was strolling from my hotel to a trade show when I popped into a small coffee bar. Buongiorno. I can't really speak Italian, but buongiorno, an older, thin man behind the counter greeted me as if I were a regular. Moving gracefully and with precision, he seemed to be doing a delicate dance as he ground coffee beans, steamed milk, pulled shots off of of espresso, made cappuccinos, and chatted with customers standing side by side at the coffee bar. Everyone in the tiny shop seemed to know each other, and I sensed that I was witnessing a daily ritual. Espresso, he asked me. I nodded and watched as he repeated the, ru- the ritual for me, looking up to, uh, to smile as the espresso machine hissed and whirled with purpose. This is not his job, I thought. This is his passion. For a tall guy who grew up playing football in the schoolyards of Brooklyn, being handed a tiny white porcelain demitasse, which is a little mug, filled with dark coffee crafted just for me by a gracious Italian gentleman called a barista, was nothing less than transcendent. I find that interesting that he would call that experience transcendent. This was so much more than a coffee break. This was theater, an experience in and of itself. After the espresso's rich flavors had warmed me, I thanked the barista and cashier and continued toward the trade show, uh, the trade show exhibit hall, stopping along the way at, uh, along more coffee bars. There seemed to be at least one on every block. Now you kind of get the feel for why Starbucks is on every block. <laughs> 
Inside, there was a similar scene. At each one, a skilled barista or two behind a bar creating espressos, cappuccinos, and other drinks I had yet to taste. For people who seem more like friends than customers. You ever wonder why Starbucks writes your name on the cup? Right there. They want you to know that they know you. In every bar, I felt a hum of community and a sense that over demitas of espresso, life slowed down. The blend of craftsmanship and human connection combined with the warm aroma and energizing flavors of fresh coffee struck an emotional chord. My mind raced. It was as if I envisioned my own future and the future of Starbucks, which at the time sold only whole bean and ground coffee in bags for home consumption. No beverages. That's fascinating. Now that explains Starbucks today. This guy went to Italy and he discovered his passion. He talks about it as a transcendent moment. He talks about it as theater. He talks about it as a dance, a, 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 a place of community. I mean, come on. How did Starbucks become a, store, a, a company which now they went from four stores with no drinks to 21,366 stores worldwide? As of 2014, you talk about creating something incredibly useful. Now, you might not think Starbucks is useful, but I really do. <laughs> and apparently a bunch of millions of other people do as well. Uh, so here's what the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 21. I love this. Uh, sorry, 27. As face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. See, if you want to know what your passion is, you got you to look inside your heart. In the same way when you look in a mirror, you see yourself. you got to look into your heart to see what makes your heart beat. What is your passion? Then you have to discover your passion, leverage that with some skill to create something that makes a difference. Listen to what John Ruskin said. I love this quote. When love and skill work together, expect a masterpiece. You with me? These, when these things overlap, you get something beautiful that's incredibly useful. Let me give you the third one. Number three, you must take consistent action. You must take consistent action. If you're going to create something useful in this world that's going to be helpful to other people, you can't just work every now and then. You can't just fiddle with it or toy with it. You want to create an environment in your home that's useful to your children? You have to do something just about every single day. You want to create a marriage that's useful not just to you and not just to your spouse, but to other people? You have to do some stuff in that marriage about every single day. You want to create a book? <laughs> that's something I'm trying to do. <laughs> trying to work on a book. Hasn't happened yet. But if you want to create a book or write a book that's useful to other people, it's going to take consistent action over time. Listen to what Proverbs 21 verse 5 says. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. See this word right here, plans? We could, we could translate that word intentions. The, everybody's got intentions. One day I'd like to. One day I'd hope to. One day I want to do this in the future. You know, someday. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Look at this word with me. This word describes a person who takes consistent action over time. See, it's, it's not the good intentions of someone who doesn't take action that leads to abundance. It's the, it's the plans of someone who's willing to take daily action, consistent action in that area that leads to abundance. You wanna, if you and I want to create something useful, we have to take action every single day. See, it's not what you do every now and then that matters. It's what you do daily that matters. That's a hard lesson for me. I don't like that. 
because action, you know, oftentimes we're, we're tired, right? We're, we're worn out. We don't want to take the appropriate action that's necessary. But it's, it's, it's action that changes things and turns our dreams into a reality. Isn't that true? See, knowledge only becomes power in our lives when, it, when we learn how to take action on that knowledge. Does that, does that make sense? And so I, this quote I, I, by Napoleon Hill, is, it, it's, it's so important. It bothers me. I don't like it, but it's, it's true. Action is the real measure of intelligence. <laughs> so what does that say about you and I when we fail to take action? <laughs> We're not that smart. <laughs> I hate that. I, I, feel, I feel insulted by that. But it's true. See, my good, intentions, my good intentions are worthless until I decide that I'm going to take action to create that thing that is going to make a difference. I can have all the knowledge in the world, and you can have all the knowledge in the world, but until you decide to take action, that thing will not be created, and you will not make the difference you were designed to make in this world. And so I was talking to our staff about this, these three ideas of, of discovering our skill and discovering our passion and taking consistent action. And, and one of our staff members said, well, what if, we, what if we gave people a graphic to kind of remember this and put this on their wall or write it in their journal or something like that? I said, that's great. So what would it look like? And we started drawing on the whiteboard. This is what we came up with. We'll give this to you on the way out. So here's what we're really looking at. You want to make a difference? You want to create something that makes a difference in this world? We got these three things. Discovering our skill, discovering our passion, and then taking consistent action. When you get these three things working together, you get something right in the middle called useful creativity. That's just the way it works. That's how God uses you to create something that actually helps other people. I was thinking about even this very talk itself. Okay, this one I'm currently giving right now. I, I, I'm using the skill that I have. I need to get better as a communicator. I'm working on that, practicing all the time. I've got some skill. I've got a passion. A passion for what? To see you all make a difference with your life, to make a difference with my own life. So I've got this driving passion to help people. I've got some skill to communicate. And then all week long, this week and last week, I've been taking action, writing this talk, practicing this talk in front of people, honing this talk. And so all three of these things have come together hopefully to make this moment possible where there's some useful creativity right here. Has this talk been helpful to you at all? Has it? Now, I'm not asking you that question so you can pat me on the back. I'm not I'm not, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, in creating something that is incredibly useful in your life such that you can leave here and go, oh my gosh, that was so insightful. Like, I'm actually going to go use it. I'm going to go use it to create a better relationship with my daughter or, or, or create a better, a better environment at work or come up with solutions for my boss. Or I'm going to actually take this grid and I'm going to go and do something with it in my current life. So many times, so many times I talked to, you know, I used to talk to a lot of, a lot of teenage girls because I was a high school pastor. And, and uh, I, when I would probe into why certain teenage girls would get into trouble with maybe the wrong boy and blah, blah, blah or wrong boys, I should say, and, and then you start asking, well, how did you get pregnant before marriage and all these different things? When you start probing into those stories of those teenage girls that have gotten way off track, here's what you often find. Didn't have a very good relationship with my... See, you know the answer. And because I didn't have a good relationship with my father, I didn't feel loved, I didn't feel beautiful, I didn't feel, I didn't feel, I didn't feel. I, this other boy boys, 
started to speak into those emotional needs that I had to know who I am. Am I beautiful? Am I significant? Am I valuable? And so I started turning to them, and they were more than happy to let me know how they felt about me and my body. You see? What am I saying? If you want to create something that's valuable inside your family with a daughter or a son or whatever, you have to take consistent action and create those connections. And how is that going to be useful to your daughter? Well, she's not going to go and try to find those needs or meet those needs in some inappropriate way with some jerk boy. And there are a lot of jerk boys out there, aren't there? I was a jerk boy. Just made up a name, a phrase, jerk boy. So I'm working on this with my daughter, trying to create these moments with her, trying to let her know that she doesn't get her value from the way she looks, that she's so much more than her body. And I'm trying to spend time with her and speak into her heart. And every night before we go bed, go to bed, you know, we, we have this, this, this thing we do. You know, we blow each other kisses. And we, you know, we hold each other and all this stuff. We pray and stuff. Just trying, trying to take consistent action. Why? Because I have a passion and I've got a little bit of skill there. And I'm trying to make this connection so that one day she won't, you know, drift away at the age of 15 and start chasing some idiot jerk boy. <laughs> and then I have to go buy a shotgun and then, you know, somebody dies. You see? You see how this all works here? This really does make a difference in your life. <laughs> I want to help you. I want you to make a difference in this world. Right here, I believe this is a great, this is a great tool for you to use. To live a, a Swiss Army life as a creative life. To create something that is absolutely useful. Even if it's just a healthy environment in your home. Oh. Let me close this way. I mentioned a verse earlier that I used to share with high school students, you know, as I would travel around in a, in a youth group, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I would, I would quote this to students. I'd say, hey, look, if anybody's in Christ, he would become, she would become a new creation. And then old things would pass away, and behold, all things would become new. And I would talk about how that actually happened to me in high school. At the age of 17, when I put my faith in Christ, I became a new creation. God, God, listen to this. He didn't just create the world. He's not done creating. He's still creating. What is he creating? He's creating new people. And that's exactly what happened to me when I put my faith in Christ at the age of 17. He gave me new passions, new desires, new direction, new happiness, new energy, new fulfillment. When I put my faith in him. See, and I believe that that's what God is still doing today. I believe that's what he wants to do right now. Some of you walked in here today, you don't know Christ. You wouldn't say Christ is your savior. You wouldn't even say you're going to heaven when you die. You know what God wants to do with you? He wants to make you into a new creation. You say, how does that work? Well, when you put your faith in Christ, who died for you on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sins. When you put your faith in him, he cleanses you and he washes you and he makes you his child. You receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive what's called eternal life. And you become a new creation. There's some of you here today that you need to make that decision. You, maybe you were here last week and you chose not to. Or the week before. Or the week before you chose not to. You've been thinking about it. And right now is your moment to say to Jesus, I, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose again. Please come into my life and save me. And make me a new creation. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And, and if, unless you really have to go to the bathroom, please don't get up. Pray for those who are about to make this decision. 
If that's you right now in this most holy moment between you and God, open up your heart to him and reach out to him in faith. And say these words to him. Dear Jesus, make me a new creation today. I place my faith in you for eternal life. I believe you died on the cross for me to pay the penalty of my sin. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, and make me your child. Give me the wisdom and strength and grace to live every day of the rest of my life for your honor, for your glory, and to bring a smile to your face. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ, and that's what you did, and if you did that, you became a new creation in Christ. Can we give God glory for that today? Isn't that exciting? There's an important tool that you need on your journey now as a new creation, and that is a Bible. And so our church wants to put one of these in your hands. There's tables back here to my right and to my left. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and grab one if you prayed to receive Christ. As you read this book, it's like milk to a newborn baby, right? It's, it's your life. You read it, you begin to understand God's will, God's heart. He begins to show you what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. He shows you his will. He gives you insight. He gives you wisdom. And that's why it's so important that we want to give one of these to you today as you walk out if you pray to receive Christ. So I'm going to pray right now and, uh, and we'll close out. And you, please, 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 go and grab one of these Bibles. Tell them you prayed to receive Christ today and they'll put one in your hands. So for the rest of us, before we go, before we go, my last challenge, very simple, go create. Like, come on, this week, this week, take your passion, your skill, take action, and go create. Create a connection between another human being. Maybe it's your spouse or a child or something. Create a blog post. I don't know. Create something. Create a new system at work. You know, bring, bring some healing to a relationship. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to create because it's in those areas that you create that you make a difference. Is that fair? Good challenge? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to go forth today from this place. Take our skill, take our passion, and take action so that we can create useful, something useful for your honor and glory. God, for those who put their faith in your son today, please give them the courage to go back and grab a Bible and begin reading it to receive insight and instruction from you in their new journey. Thank you for creating new creations today in the name of Jesus. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week is part three of The Useful Life. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring a friend. God bless you.